0: If you're listening to this podcast on an Android, you should check out the Podcast Republic app. It's available on the Google Play Store and has thousands of great reviews. So it's not just me telling you it's good. It's many people out there. You favorite your favorite shows. They download when they post new episodes and you get to listen to your shows like Dissecting the 80s that simply. So check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. If you're hearing this the day that it's released, you have about 10 days left to get your requests in for the first ever Dissecting the 80s Listener Request Month. We will be doing that in June, but your suggestions for movies are due by May 31st at midnight East Coast time. You call 856-347-7328. Back that up if you need it again. Leave us a message with your name, where you're calling from, and the movie you'd like to hear us talk about. One movie per call, please.
1: And whether or not you'd like your voice modulated.
0: (laughs) Yes, I hope that's not a thing. If you're international, send a voice memo to dissectingthe80s at gmail.com. Like I said, you got about 10, 11 days left, so get on that. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Triplano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is a man who probably would not dress in a B costume as a regular part of his comedy. The Macho Man Drew.
1: And Drew And no, and that is saying a lot because I have worn a lot of stupid shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: we are tying into the release of Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic, with a unauthorized, which is pretty rare, biopic of the late John Belushi, Uh, perhaps
1: the most misguided thing we've ever covered on this show it it made me it was probably the angriest i've been watching something (laughs) for this in a long long while
0: yeah so uh let's not dilly dally we watched wired which is available on youtube if you haven't seen it so you know what that means (laughs) you know what that means
1: we gotta go back we're going to go dissect the 80s. It's your slanderous biopic. Something's got to be done about your slanderous biopic. When the Mega Powers explode.
0: I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great
1: Scott. queen of the crop. Oh, 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 oh yeah.
0: Mega Powers, yeah. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious
1: shit. Also, right off the top, biopic, biopic.
0: I go biopic That's because what it's I a
1: biographical say, picture. That is what I say. But I always hear biopic, so I just kind of stop saying it out loud. I've noticed this recently, and I think it's like a fart sniffy thing. Like
0: it seems to be the people who consider themselves intelligent film people call it a biopic. But I don't know how you like. I, I guess they're going biographical,
1: like biop by Bi- biographical, by Bi- yeah. I, I ju- it just I'm always to like, me what? it's a to me it's, it's a biopic. The, right, it's a bio- biographical biographical
0: picture like in the old sense of film it's a picture so i go biopic but i i don't know what the actual right answer is uh i don't care for them broadly speaking like it's Biopics? a category of, yeah specifically musical ones uh they were very much ruined for me by walk hard the dewey cox story i feel like i talked about this on air before so i, I do think wanna, yeah to like, rehash it to death but uh that movie came out shortly after Ray and walk the line came out, the Ray Charles one and the mm-hmm. Johnny cash one. And like those stories are very similar because those guys had like some level of similarity to their lives and that there was like significant hardship in their early life and then a drug problem later and whatever. And so it's, it's logical that they would have some of the same beats, but after watching Dewey Cox, I went was like thinking about those two movies and A black man growing up in a time that Ray Charles grew up and like, yes, I know Johnny Cash grew up as like a dirt poor farmer kid where he grew up. But like (laughs) those movies should not feel beat for beat the same, even if they do they? they. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And it's like Walk Hard does such a good job of lampooning that stuff. It's it's I think like the last not that I'm saying there will never be another one, but the last truly great spoof movie that anyone made, and so it's just totally ruined these things for me. So, uh, like I never saw Bohemian Rhapsody because I was like, I, did. I know I'm not, I, I am. Yeah. And I was like, I, I was like, I took one look at him in that wig, and I was like, I'm just gonna think about that wig for the whole movie, so I can't go see that. What do you um, mean? All of the dudes in the band have such bad hair, like, the wigs are so bad
1: to me. It's like, so this from the man who didn't clock Jamie Lee Curtis's wig in Halloween too. Yeah,
0: but the, the difference is like, that was a wig that looked like her natural hair. And this is where you're putting a two thousands face with seventies hair. And it's just like, like I've, somebody else said this about Keanu Reeves and I think it's accurate. Like part of the reason people don't think he's a good actor is because he, his face doesn't work for period drama and you either have a seventies face or you do not. And none of the dudes in the band in the, other than Rami Malek, like the dudes in the band Queen in that movie, in all the scenes I've seen and stuff, do not have the face for '70s rock star haircuts. And all I, I the guess. whole time, I'm like, this just looks like an SNL sketch to me. Like we got, we got three cast members hastily slapping a wig on in six. No, minutes. No, I,
1: I loved uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, as 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 evidenced because I wrote about it. I forgot. <laughs> I just realized I wrote about it for right. the bag of soup.
0: Right. Um, Uh, If you'd like to read that, patreon.com slash Dissecting the 80s, you get the monthly newsletter with thoughts on something that we watched and actually really liked, which is not
1: always the case on the podcast. A fun hot take from you, considering literally last episode you talked about how Almost Famous is one of your favorite movies. Almost Famous isn't a biopic.
0: It's about a fake band.
1: But it's about the guy. Isn't it his life? But I'm saying I don't like musical biopics. Oh, I thought you said you don't like biopics across the board. I... I don't know
0: that I super do, and but like the the other thing with with almost famous is like it's loosely biographical as opposed to being like straight biographical, so it doesn't follow the beats necessarily the same way. But every musical movie, like every musical biopic, it hits like the same beats. Um, it's an awful piece of crap, but I put it on just for like wallpaper movie that the Motley Crew, the Dirt uh that's on netflix right now and i was just like Did you oh thing? i was like oh all right like i i'll look forward to the 17 times they play a motley crew song in this because like I, they're not a band that i love and they're extremely problematic as people but they have some the, some fun 80s pop songs uh rock songs and uh i i had it on and it was the same thing it's like all i'm thinking about is these wigs like it's just all it's all wig thoughts the whole way down but then it's, it's like, so interesting yeah Yeah, I just in in Bohemian Rhapsody and and this movie's case, the wigs really took me out of it. But I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody uh, other than clips. But the clips that I've seen are straight up beats from Walk Hard, which are just it's like they, you know, I I don't know. It'd be like trying to watch a movie about that airplane was spoofing after airplane came out. Like, all you're going to do is think about airplane.
1: Yeah, I mean, also like most musicians or artsy people have a lot of demons that they tend to deal with in specific ways. Mostly drug use. It's not. But in that. Que- in 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 um in Freddie Mercury's case, alcohol and gay sex. But it's not
0: that that commonality exists. It's that there's only one way to put it on film that we all accept, and so all of the movies are identical.
1: Well, but, like, and how else would you have done something like that, though, to show, like, they – something bad happened and they turned to drugs?
0: So, I mean, there are many options. Like, one would be taking a different time frame of a person's life. Two might be to do a different type of storytelling device that, like – so this movie, Wired, has this insane through line that we'll get to momentarily. But the the basic idea of, like, no one has ever tried to do a biograph- a biopic like this – I thought was like interesting at first and then it quickly goes off the rails, but at least I gave it points for like, Oh, you're telling you're doing a different setup for this thing. And not just like, I need this scene because like, it's like, is there a scene in, in, uh, Queen, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody where like Freddie Mercury spirals from his drug or whatever bad use and is in a bathroom.
1: Um, no bathroom. I don't think. Okay. There's definitely a the spiral, but there's no there's no bathroom. So that
0: spiral scene like almost always ends up with a, the character like in a bathroom, like either falling down in a bathroom or shooting up needle drugs in a bathroom or like snorting cocaine in a bathroom. But it's like they don't always have to they, like even if it really did happen in a bathroom, like it doesn't always happen in a bathroom. But the bathroom version of just the,
1: private spaces.
0: <laughs> but the version of the scene is always like. Oh, some that like he's nodding out with a heroin in the bathroom, and like this movie has you know a, a drug ish scene in a bathroom, and
1: it does. Yeah,
0: so it's just different. Like, it just, I would
1: say I would argue this is a different like yes, course, a better a version color, of a sure. drug bathroom scene. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. All I'm saying is like I just find them extremely formulaic, and it's yes, many musicians deal with the same problems like many artists become artists because of trouble in their early life that like makes them seek an outlet and then drug use becomes part of that. Like all that stuff makes sense. And it makes sense that many people have similar beats in their life story, but I just find the movie versions are often just such a, Similar copy from one version to the next that I'm like, I this can't this. I'm like, I check out of it because I'm like, I saw this before when it was Johnny Cash. Ray Charles and Johnny Cash had extremely different lives. There has to be a better way of like telling this story A to Z about their lives without doing like a scene where a guy overdoses in a bathroom
1: in both movies,
0: even if they both did actually overdose in bathrooms, which I don't know if that's true. You right, yeah, you know what but I mean? I guess
1: it also speaks to like finding the most interesting parts of their life
0: right so I don't know I just I find them extremely formulaic and it's not for me but that's fine like I'm not saying I'm not my point is not to say that I think Bohemian Rhapsody is like a piece of crap and they shouldn't make it because other people like that and just I don't watch Game of Thrones either I don't think they should stop making
1: it I just don't watch it they're about to
0: (laughs) right I know I'm looking forward to it not bogging up my Twitter timeline three days a week until
1: the uh, spinoff comes
0: yeah but anyway I'm not a huge fan of biopics in general particularly when they're like aggressively about someone's life story. Um, You know, obviously Almost Famous, as you pointed out, one of my favorites is a sort of biographical thing, but it doesn't necessarily read that way to me. And the other thing too with Almost Famous is like, yeah, it's about Cameron Crowe, but the main character's name isn't Cameron Crowe.
1: That much really matters to you?
0: Right. Like it's, but yeah, because when it's like this story is about a kid named William Miller, whose life is similar to Cameron Crowe's, puts enough like fantasy fairy ness into it where it's like, I know you're going to take some liberties. And I know you're going to do character amalgamations. I know you're going to do this stuff versus like when it's the real people, there's always this effort to make sure like we check all the boxes of like this person and this person and this person and all that stuff. Interesting. So anyway, uh, this is the, I, we say this a lot, but for my, my betting money, the absolute worst movie we've ever done on this show.
1: Yeah, I mentally checked out so many times and, like, did the whole, oh, there's got to be, like, what, 25, 30 minutes left? Oh, there's an hour and 10 minutes left? Got it.
0: I did it at almost exactly the same point. It was, like, an hour 15 left when I checked the first time. This is, so the timeline of events is 1982, John Belushi dies. At that point, is still beloved, even though he hadn't really seen success for the last couple of years as as strongly. Two years after he dies, his widow contacts Bob Woodward and asks him to write a (laughs) – now I got the biopic biopic thing in my head. She asks him to write a biography of of Belushi, uh, interview a bunch of friends. There's all these rumors about his death and the end of his life and she's like, look, this is really exhausting to me. Can you like help put some of this to rest? So he goes and writes this book and being a reporter, I'm sure plays into this, but he doesn't. Do Like a lot of times with a biography of a famous person, the last person who reads it is either the famous person or their estate that does the sign off and like, yep, this is good to go. He doesn't do that. He tells like a warts and all story about Belushi who by the end of his life was a serious drug user who was kind of an asshole to most of the people he met and it, like burned a lot of bridges. Book comes out. It just adds fuel to the fire of this whole like, rumor swirling about his death. Uh, and, you know, what really happened and all these other rumors about his life and, and where he was at drug wise and all these other things. Eighty nine rolls around and they
1: decide to make this into a movie. Eighty eight. Actually, it, waited oh, a year. Okay. it was a year between production and release because they okay. couldn't find the distributor because why would you distribute this movie?
0: Right. So this is a movie based on a book that is essentially an unauthorized biography of. John Belushi, even though many of his friends were quoted in the book and are on the record saying telling these stories, and then the movie is ostensibly about Belushi's life, but also takes into account being written. Yes, and it's like two completely different movies that get glommed together. And honestly, the word that comes to mind for all this is just tasteless. It's that I wrote that word so many times. Tasteless, and it's like. Look, I don't love John Belushi. He died five years before I was born. He was in some movies that I find hilarious. Like, you know, I, I haven't watched it in a long time. I'm sure. Like, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I am. I know for a fact there are problematic parts of Animal House and stuff that is like of the time it was made a totally different thing. But like. The, like, nonsensy food fight scene is still funny, right? It's still funny to watch him yeah. do that stuff and be kind of a, a, a insane goofball doofus. Like, do I like the part where he peeps on a woman? No, not really. And, but it does end in probably one of the better boner jokes in the history of cinema that he,
1: like, falls off the, the ladder, bottom. right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like, one of the better ones that anyone's ever come up with. Yes, he's also a, a lecherous dude in it. Like, But he know, gets to come up too. and... Yeah there are many movies he made that I love. I, I love the blues brothers I, and I like John Belushi. I don't th- I don't, I'm not saying I hate the guy. I'm just saying like, I don't have some deep love for this person. And even me as just like an objective person who's aware of him has seen some of the Saturday night live has seen some of the movies. I'm just like, who do you think wants to see you treat this guy
1: this way? Yeah. It's, it's so weird. I, by the end, like, I can't figure out what message I'm supposed to take away, or like what you're trying, what they're trying to evoke from the audience. Like, right? It's not like you know they're trying. Like Belushi was, you know, uh, beloved on a pedestal, and no one could touch him. And This was like, this is w- look at your you know hero now, and like pull yeah. the the curtain back. People knew what was going on. People were like right. he. The people liked him, but they understood what was happening behind the scenes because it- everything had come to light by this point. And it's just such an issue. I've, like It's a hard line to walk with biopics. Like It's why Disney has never made an official Walt Disney biopic. Because if you go too far on one end of the scale, it becomes a useless fluff piece. And if right. you go too far on the other end of the scale, it becomes a sli- like an attack. And it's really hard to find a middle ground where you tell truth, but still don't destroy things.
0: I mean, honestly, I think the public desire for this stuff is almost like a puff piece, but you got to give me like three little nuggets. I'm pulling this number out of thin air, but just like you got to give me a couple little nuggets to let me know this person wasn't perfect, but that I ultimately like them. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. And
1: so it's 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 Cotton very handy with pop rocks on it.
0: Yeah, exactly. You got to give me a sprinkle of the bad stuff so that I have some context. And then mostly I just want you to tell me how great this person was. Or mm-hmm. it's like, this is the worst person in history. And here's a movie about how evil they were or whatever. Like, you know, if you were to, not that they would do this, but like, if you were to make a movie focused around like Hitler or something, it would, I thought the same thing. I was yeah. Like Hitler. Yeah. But like, this is so baffling. And the other thing that's crazy is they don't have the rights to anything. So they have to do like the dollar store Halloween costume version of all these things. Like it's called the Brothers
1: Blues instead of the Blues Brothers. I never noticed that the whole time. Not even on the marquee? No, I because my brain saw Blues Brothers and like didn't I notice that they, they weren't in the right order.
0: Yeah, no, it's the bl- the Brothers Blues. Um
1: but yeah, they didn't have the. Rights I was surprised to they were like How, how are they able to make a movie using Dan Aykroyd's name and likeness when he was still alive or Belushi's like how?
0: So Dan Aykroyd gave the interviews that were like majorly foundational to this book. So maybe they were just able to like clear his name
1: for the use in the movie. Because I know a lot of other people were flat out like, hey, if you put our names or likeness in this movie, we will sue you till the cows come home.
0: Right. That's why Lorne Michaels isn't in it. That's why like, it's like a fake guy that looks like Lorne Michaels a little bit, but it's not even like – like the, the thing that I thought was crazy is they don't even do like a Lorne Michaels impression, which is a very easy yeah. impression to do. Dr. Evil. You know, right. Like it, it's not hard, but so it's crazy to me that they don't even do that. They just like have a guy be there. Anyway, let's let's get into this, I I guess, and and start tracking through the plot uh, what little there is. Oh, the other thing is, there's so many musical numbers to pad this runtime. And it's like, this movie is excruciatingly long. It's far too long. I do not need four complete musical numbers. And that being said, Chiklis actually sings quite nicely. He sounds a lot like Belushi. He nails his mannerisms. But I do not need three Brothers Blues songs and also, like, Joe Cocker at the end and also another one with the B. Like, if you want
1: to give me Joe Cocker over the credits, sure. But, like, it did not have to be a three-minute musical sequence followed by the credits.
0: So we start with the movie. Uh, he's at a nightclub dressed as a bee, which is like a famous character of his. I do not understand it, but that's fine. Um, we flash to his death, and then a morgue attendant is like rolling a corpse down the hallway, singing a very weird song to himself.
1: I just wrote, "What is this movie already?"
0: Right, and then we've got you know Belushi at the the, the on the table at the morgue. And then he sits up and is like, <gasps> "Am I dead?" Like he, he doesn't know what's going on, even though he just unzipped himself out of a body bag. And even seven years after his death, it's just
1: so tasteless. It's yeah, so it, tasteless. It's it's a it's a concept that I don't hate as a general idea. Like doing this version of a Christmas, because this, basically this is just the weirdest Christmas Carol you've ever seen. Right. But, like, doing it this way where, like, someone dies and comes back to life and then has to look at their life as a whole, I think it's kind of interesting. It didn't have to be about a real person who, you know, had family and friends and, like, was generally well-liked.
0: Right. Like, I couldn't imagine being a family member of this person who, like, died in a really heartbreaking way. I mean, it's always sad when someone dies, regardless of how they go. But, you know, he was young. It was a drug problem. You know, it kind of happened suddenly as far as those things go. You know, I'm sure everyone was aware of his drug issues and knows what that road leads to. But it's like... Imagine being his family or his friends or even just someone who was like a big fan of his. Like who do you – like from a producer standpoint, who do you think the audience is for this movie? It's like, oh, this beloved comedian. We want to watch you just drag him through. Like show us every horrible thing he did and how awful he was as a person. And maybe that's true. Like maybe John Belushi was a huge piece of shit and this is a completely accurate portrayal of him. But even if that's true, who do you think wants to see that?
1: Yeah, and it's not – it's it's a very weird – It's because it's not so ext- – even if, like, assume – like, let's say for a second that everything in this movie is 100% true and factual. Right. It's not so far into the realm of, like, anti-Semitism, like, full-on, you know, dangerous misogyny, anti-LGBT, like, racist. Like,
0: There's a little bit of racism.
1: Yes, but it's not like – but it's not the, like, oh, turns out, you know, he's, you know – I can't even think of something awful. But it, it, it would be one thing if it was like, let's, you know, throw the, rip the bandaid off and reveal that all these terrible, awful things he did that, like, will 100% change public perception of this person. Right. Because it's just like, oh, he did some shitty things. Wasn't the perfect person, but, uh Right. So
0: the, the general conceit of this is, like, he wakes up in the morgue, he goes looking for answers, he meets this cabbie named Angel, because we got to make sure people understand the point here. And this cabbie is like his guide that's taking him through scenes of his He's life. Clarence, Right. And I will say that like that version of this movie where it's just like, he gets to check in on all these things and like, you can reveal like the truth of some of this stuff and show him to be kind of an asshole would be fine. But then the other subplot, takes up just as much time of the movie, and it's, like, the story of Bob Woodward investigating his death, and I just, like, how could anyone care? And then they meet at the end? Like, spoiler alert. Oh, my God, that part is inexplicable. This weird revisionist
1: history, I, I don't understand. No. So...
0: He hops in the cab with Angel and he's trying to, uh, he tries to, wants to call his fiance. And so he's like begging for a quarter. And then he starts trying to talk to all these people. Is like, hey, anybody got a quarter? Anybody got a quarter? And it takes him forever to realize that no one can hear him because obviously he's dead. You're um, dead, buddy. Yeah. And they like, they're in this diner when this happens. And the, the cabbie's like, oh, you know, like, come on, I'll, I'll show you something. And so, like, Belushi is, um, eating a, like a cheeseburger in the car. And then, which is a reference to Sarah, a character. He from He says, "Cheeburger, Cheeburger." Right, I was like, right. How did they
1: get away with this? Right, right. Um, and then, like, if I were Lauren Michaels, I would have like sent. Like, I would be like, "We're going over this movie with a fine tooth comb, and any reference to anything I own, we are slamming down on these people."
0: I almost wonder if it's the same situation as that uh, Escape to Tomorrow movie that there was air quotes filmed in Disneyland and Disney World. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're like, they saw it and they're like, this is a piece of crap. And if we just like ignore it, it's going to go away because it's awful. And so like, that's a very real possibility here.
1: But I thought for, uh, I haven't seen Escape from Tomorrow because I heard it's not very good. Um, But I heard the main ish quote unquote, issue Disney had would have been that it was filmed in the parks because they don't really show any name brand stuff, I thought.
0: I'm speaking well, they, of someone like, who
1: hasn't seen that movie.
0: No, like the plot of that movie is like some weird flu disease that Disney is covering up and/or researching, and all of the princesses secretly
1: run uh, brothel. Oh, never mind. Yeah, no, I yeah, thought it was. I thought it was just no. like filmed in a in the park and like it.
0: It was, but it's like it's like the dumbest possible story where it's like. This big corporation you love is actually evil. Did you ever think about that? And it's like, yeah, they're just nakedly evil in business. Like I've seen it. Like I'm aware they own everything. Right. I don't like it. I think it's bad. I don't know who you think this movie is supposed to be for. Um. But so we we leave the the diner with Angel and we go and have this like confrontation uh, about his drug use. And then we have some fun, just open racism as he uses racial slurs to talk about this Hispanic cab driver.
1: Yeah. Honestly, this beginning part felt like a bad fringe play or like college written play.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I totally see this. I like would like, sort like, cuts of like to uh, him,
1: him in the apartment being like, and they're like fighting and like, you got to wake up. Something's come. I was just like, this feels so bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like a, like a kid who read Waiting for Godot and was like, Got it. I understand this whole, you know, weird nonsense. Stuff. I understand I absurdist it. theater. Yeah. Like, let me, let me get on this. So we cut to, or on stage as the brothers blues. And the, the problem is like, none of these scenes connect to each other other than no. the fact that they ad- are adjacent to each other in the film. There's no, it's not like. Honestly, I kind of wish they had used the traditional biopic formula because at least then it's like you're hitting the high points or low points of a person's life in order to try to tell a story. But here it's just like we're just ping-ponging back to stuff that you recognize from John Belushi or some like weird little private moment he had with someone he cared about and then you're like kind of a fly on the wall.
1: But like you're given – like they came up with the framing device of like – John Belushi with this angel cab driver, like there is a way for them to transition using that framing device, and they just chose not to. So we bounce from scene to scene with no no explanation and no no setup. So why bother using that framing device? Right, because like-, like he could have picked something up, like at the end of the one scene, he could have picked something up that like triggered something else to happen, or like the cab right. driver, he like it could have been like in the cab the whole like. I would have preferred if they never left the cab and the cab just would appear in different places. Like in a living yeah. room, there's a cab. Yeah. Why not?
0: Yeah. Or do like, if you're going to try to rip off Dickens, like do the whole peering through the window thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause it, it also is weird because you've got Chickless playing the now dead Belushi who but in this he, like, rip
1: looks exactly like I thought it was John Belushi for a second because this yeah, rip is so grainy and bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The version of this that is available on uh, YouTube is ripped from a VHS. And so there's like some tracking, scanning motions and stuff like that throughout it. But it is like crazy, crazy poorly up there because this movie's never been released other than on tape. Like it's, it was banished from the earth basically.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because like if you read about it, the pro- like the producers are like, I think like I accuse these people of using their clout and like there's no secret, a hundred percent. Like these these people were like, "Hey, we want this movie destroyed." Yeah, like don't you, you, you pick you, it up?
0: You you desecrated a friend of ours that we cared about. You, Dan Aykroyd
1: had someone fired from a movie because he because they were in this. Like he was we got to set realize this person was in the movie. Was like, no, they're gone.
0: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. And like honestly, Chicklis is lucky that he ended up with
1: a career. I was shocked that, like, a newcomer on the scene took
0: Literally this Literally first thing.
1: I, I don't know that I would have, I could. I don't think, if, if if I had been Michael Chiklis, I don't think I would have done this. I would have walked away.
0: Yeah, I agree. But I will say, in his defense, he clearly has a, an affinity for John Belushi, and he plays this character with, like, some reverence. Like, he clearly, yeah, I agree. He, he believes that he was a flawed individual, but, like, a real genuine person at the heart of it all. And it comes through. And I really think that that's the difference is he did a great job in a atrocious movie that shouldn't exist. And I think that was enough to like get him over the hump,
1: right? Like, yeah, that's the only, he, he said it was about an 18 month dry spell, which is better than I would have thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm genuinely surprised it wasn't longer. And, you know, he he's always kind of been like a TV guy mostly anyway. You know, he's more of like a character actor type guy. I think like, I, don't, I don't think anyone even in, in his youth here looked at Michael Chiklis and was like, that's the guy who's going to be the lead in a bunch of romantic comedies or whatever. You know, he's not Joe handsome, but like capable actor, you know, you know, certainly very yeah. you know, talented. But yeah, it's it's a really amazing that this didn't kill his career. But so, like, this is a great example of what we're talking about as far as the scenes just being kind of, like, just random ping-ponging. So we're on stage as the Brothers Blues, and then they come off stage and an assistant there. Also, every time they do one of these stages, they don't have any budget, so everything looks so crappy. It looks like a local theater version of a thing that you recognize.
1: Yeah, or, like, the Disney Channel TV show version. Where it's a concert, but there's never a crowd shot or like it's backstage after the show.
0: There's six people in the crowd and it's like a tight shot of those six people at the concert is all you get.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, But I will say the uh, guy who plays Ackroyd does a great Ackroyd voice.
0: He does. It actually, like, because of the rip, I was like, "Was that?" No, he wouldn't be in this movie. But then I, you know, obviously looked it up. Um, but yeah, he he did not work much. Yeah, I mean, nobody really who was involved in this movie got to work much after it.
1: Yeah, which like, not surprised.
0: Right. Right. Well,
1: because when I first heard about this movie, I was like, "I wonder why Jim Belushi didn't play John Belushi." Like, it right. feels like the obvious choice. And sure. I was like, yeah. Oh, because this movie is this movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they talked a couple of years ago about doing like an authorized one that had the blessing of the family, and the guy that was in talks to be uh, Jim Belushi was Emil Hirsch. Uh, Wait, I know uh, Into the Wild, Speed Racer. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Weird.
0: Yeah, I agree. So here, so anyway, back to the the plot. Uh, air quotes used liberally there. Um, so we're on stage as the as the Blues Brothers. This guy comes up and is like, oh, there's somebody who wants to meet you. It's Elvis. And then they go back into the dressing room and it's Elvis and supposedly Colonel Tom Parker. Except when they open the door, it is clearly Elvis and Colonel Sanders, the fried chicken guy. He's even holding a bucket of fried chicken. I think that's fried the joke.
1: Because he says Elvis and the Colonel.
0: Right. But the Elvis's manager was very famous as well. And his name was Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah, but I think that's the joke.
1: Yeah, that no, El- I get like, it. They're
0: both dead. Yeah. Well, they're not at the time. Like, I don't think... Didn't Elvis die in the 70s? I don't know. Well, but Belushi's big year was 1978. Hold on. Oh, you're right. He did. So, okay. That's what I, I that whoosh, totally over my head. I thought Elvis died like late 70s or like right around eighty, Like right around 1980. So I was wrong there. So he died a year before Belushi broke. So they never would have met. That's logical. But yeah, it just, it's like, but I, I don't. Okay. Case in point. I missed the joke there. That's fine. Sometimes that happens. You all know about it now. But (laughs) we go from it out. No, I won't. But you go from like that joke, air quotes, of like, oh, the Blues Brothers met some dead guys because I guess Belushi's dead. Smash cut to.
1: And then it becomes an SNL cold open. Like they open the door to the Colonel and Elvis and they, with a mouthful of chicken, say live from New York it's Saturday night. Right. No reason why. And then we go right to investigators
0: talking about Belushi's death. Like Woodward is talking to, I think Judy, his wife
1: at that point. And the police just do not care. No.
0: And then we go, like we go to, there's like no transition from any of these things. Like scenes just end and the next one starts. And so it's like, we're talking about Belushi's death with investigators. And then we open on a cone head and it sounds like Richard Nixon. And then Belushi is talking to Richard Nixon, the cone head. And then, oh, no, they're doing like Shakespeare even. And then it's like, oh, no, uh, we're on SNL. The lights come up. Hey, Belushi, you have to sign your contract.
1: Yeah. And then there was this drama about the contract that I was like, is this a real thing? I'm so confused why this matters. I, I think that it was. I think I vaguely am familiar with Belushi being reluctant to sign
0: a contract, like a renewal contract on SNL for whatever reason that it was.
1: But like. Is Without that, a contract, you can get fired, like at the drop of a hat, and you have no protection. But also, like, is that one of the ten most foundational scenes
0: of John Belushi's life? Like, when we're pairing it down to make the movie, the scene where he like got into a fight about his contract on SNL with fake Lauren Michaels. Why is this in the movie? Like, and you can say that for every scene in this movie, I think. But like, yeah,
1: pretty much. Why is this in the movie? It's so bizarre. It's just the whole movie is joyless and aimless. And it is a slog.
0: Yeah, it's a total slog. So we go right from this contract thing to the absolute best scene in the movie, and it's uh they're at it's Woodward talking to Belushi's wife at their house, and someone goes to look out the window and they do this flashback sequence of Belushi and his wife, or I guess not his wife at that point, but his girlfriend And they're on the beach, and she's, like, burying him in the sand. And it's this really sweet moment between the two of them. Oh, it's
1: lovely.
0: You know, he's, like, begging her to kiss him, and she won't kiss him on the lips. And he's, like, you know, being all cutesy, and they're having this really cute couple moment. And he's finally, like, I'll even marry you if you kiss me on the lips. And she's, like, oh, really? And you can tell, like, that's the first time these, at least in this version of it, these characters have brought this topic up. And she's kind of, like dazed with joy and like it's just a really lovely chemistry moment. right it's like can you just make this the movie can you just like make the movie about john belushi as opposed to all these weird contrivances you added to the plot
1: yeah please 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 make a better movie
0: so then we go to – this is – and like it's just like – so you get this really sweet moment and it is immediately followed by probably the mo- – like maybe not the most crass. That might be the end scene, but if that's true, then this is the second most crass where it's his autopsy and Angel is like watching him on the autopsy table have his organs removed and they're like talking about him like he's a piece of meat being like, oh, his – you know, he has this in his stomach, proof of this drug and his pancreas looks like this and – Chickles as Belushi is screaming in pain during this whole thing. Like it's like he's being actively operated on.
1: It's this weird piece of absurdist theater. That's like, like half of this movie is absurdist. Like it's very Heather's very, that other one with John Cusack dead, did, did, better off dead, better off dead. Thank you. It's yeah, it's equal parts biopic dreamy eighties movie absurdist theater and some slam piece. Nope, not, nope, slam piece is not that.
0: <laughs> slam Smear poem? job. Oh. Um, the, yeah, and they're, all, they're cutting in between this autopsy and like SNL sketches, and it's just like edited bizarrely and just is confusing as a viewer. Like, I don't know what. I don't think this movie has a point of view, which is the worst thing that a movie can ha- have yes. as a problem, right? Like, particularly if you're doing a, a biopic, like, you have to have a point of view about the person at the heart of the story, and this movie does not.
1: Yeah, it it, it feels like it's made by the kids in high school who were like, we're edgy because we know the dark versions of Disney movies.
0: Right, right. Like, like, I read The Grimm's Fairy Tale, and at the
1: end, the ugly stepsisters get their eyes pecked out by crows. Like, Jerk off motion, brah. It, right. it doesn't matter. Like, you aren't interesting because of right. that.
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: It just feels like that kind of Like, they're like, well, what if we showed like the gritty? Like, I, I just, I'm angry and I'm annoyed. And it's just yeah. dis- this whole, I'm, I'm going to hot take. My last note is I'm going to say it now. This movie is a disrespectful waste of my time. Yes, wholeheartedly.
0: I mean, you're absolutely 100% correct. So. <laughs> There's a scene where like Judy, the widow, is telling Woodward she wants the whole story told, which is like the whole reason this book exists, and then I guess the movie as well. And then we go from that to like Belushi's acting coach screaming at him and talking to him. But
1: it's not it's not set up. So like all of a sudden we're in this dark, this black abyss with a single overhead spotlight, and Belushi's being screamed at. So I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's happening.
0: Right, and you only glean that it's about acting because the guy is, like, screaming about, like, where's your character come from and whatnot. Yeah. We go right from this to ripping off SNL because we can't do real SNL. What is this bit supposed to
1: be? Is it based on a thing or is it just made up? All right,
0: so we're going to get some upset listeners here, but this is true of all sketch comedy. You only remember the truly transcendent stuff, and that comes, like, 10% of the time. Maybe 20. If you're really, really lucky, it's maybe 25 or 30 percent of the time. But your favorite sketches from sketch comedy are a significantly small portion. The ones that you remember are a small portion of the
1: overall produced stuff. I agree. I could probably only fill two episodes of SNL with sketches I remember.
0: Right. So like over your average s n l episode has like eight to ten sketches in it, and over the course of an s n l season you might get five like truly outstanding ones, right yeah and so samurai deli is one of these recurring sketches from the s n l early days that I just like one, it's definitely racist, yes, taking that out of it, it's just there's no joke like the 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 whole sketch of samurai deli is. And I pulled more than one up. So the the, the one that was more, most memorable to me was like Belushi's back there with his sword and a guy walks in and orders a sandwich. And Belushi takes like a whole link of bologna, like you know a foot-long piece of bologna, and he chops it in half with the sword. Like it really chops it in half with the sword. And then he like picks up a tomato and throws it in the air and chops the tomato in half with the sword, which the audience goes bananas for that he like does it midair. And then – Even though the slicing has been, like, one big slice to cut a thing in half, he, like, picks up stuff that's hidden to make a real sandwich, makes this guy a real sandwich, and then the guy asks him to cut it in half – and he cuts the sandwich in half. And instead of it being like, all of them have been these big, like over crazy sword swings. And when he asked him to cut the sandwich in half, he like puts it right on the sandwich and like saws it gently through, which is like a kind of a funny joke. Like yeah, you smile like a little joke. bit. Yeah. yeah, I, I like, enjoyed. Yeah. it. I
1: was like the, the punchline. I was like, oh, I hope he like saws it. And then you said yeah. that.
0: Yeah. It's like the very obvious punchline of like, you know, the th- what you've set up, like the, you do the opposite. But the whole time he's speaking Japanese by just being like, Oof. it's just –
1: like it's not even attempting to do bad Japanese as someone who has mangled Japanese in an audition before that's painful to listen to
0: right right right. like but it's not even like it's it's lower than like I don't know like I don't know what the joke is that like Yes, I guess ostensibly the idea that a samurai would get a job in a deli is kind of funny. But it's funny if he's, like, using a samurai sword to make paper-thin cuts of, of salami. And all this ends up with the punchline is always Belushi, like, swinging his sword and breaking the table.
1: Like, in it, it, this, I feel like samurai deli is a cartoon idea where, like, you can have the big sword make, you know, yes. paper, like... He makes a cup. He makes a slice. Hands it to a, a suburban mom, and she's like, "Can I get a little thinner?" Like, and then he right. does it like it's a cartoon sketch. It's not right. a
0: as as a, as a sketch with John Belushi. It's just him with his hair up like a samurai. Like, I honestly think, and I have no basis in fact here, but it, I would be totally unsurprised if the truth of it was like Belushi's hair had gotten a little long. He was annoyed. It was in his face. It was late at night. He put it up in a hair tie, and somebody was like, "Oh, you look like a samurai." And that was it. Like that was the bit.
1: I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah.
0: So this version is Samurai Baseball, and it's like you got a voiceover guy doing like a, oh, this guy stepping into the box here has had you know a rough go over the last couple of weeks, and then he's like swinging the sword at the baseballs, and then eventually he cuts one in half. Like oh, that's the other that's the other hilarious bit in Samurai uh, Deli is that when he a mistake is pointed out to him, he starts to commit uh, Harry carry Oh, of course. Yeah. And so that's why Samurai Baseball, he, like, gets two strikes and he's like, oh. And he starts to, like, he's going to cut himself open. And they're like, oh, it's only two strikes. You got one more.
1: This is a five-minute sequence. It's so long. A painful one-man show that unless I was boning that one man, I would have walked out.
0: Yes. And it's set up, like... It's supposed to be SNL, but there's like no one in the stands. It doesn't. It's
1: like a weird, just single lit. I was like, normally there would be like a ball, at least like a ball boy or a bat boy or right, something.
0: Right. It's just bad. It's just really bad. So we go from Samurai Baseball to interviewing the woman who actually like injected Belushi with the drugs that killed him on the night he died.
1: And, and it's they're the like weirdest. In, it's it's like a. Ugh. Is train spot? No, it's like a Requiem for a Dream train spotting interrogation sequence with these like Sam Raimi close ups on drug paraphernalia and jittering limbs.
0: Yes. And extremely mild aside here because I don't want to go too far off base, but I didn't, I learned this watching the movie because I was very bored. The woman who killed John Belushi, like who actually injected the drugs into his system. Yeah. uh, Uh, was a former rock and roll groupie who was affiliated with the band for a while and uh, the band the band the, yeah the band the band that I'm a big fan of and she had a baby that they like just instead of doing paternity tests for we're just like oh it's the band baby and that was just cool with everybody what yeah
1: that's not a thing You can't do that
0: I, I mean apparently It is a thing In rock in the 70s But this Yeah that's a, a real thing That, that sounds happened. more like A motley Crue story Yeah no uh, Yeah yeah Anyway This scene of interrogation Ends with one cop Saying to the other Oh he's just another Fat junkie That went belly up it's
1: like This movie hates John Belushi Which is a yeah, weird tone this movie to Does not like him And then there's These weird scenes Of like Belushi And Aykroyd Driving Across country or right. They're from doing where like to where to
0: wear. It's just a scene out of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Like it looks like they're driving from LA to Vegas.
1: No, because they drive past Vegas.
0: No, I know, but I'm saying it's like oh. it looks like the the setup is like we're driving from LA to Vegas, but they've driven past Vegas and then they're having a fight. Okay. So then we go watch Animal House in the theater, and how people— How do they get
1: the rights to this? Like, how did they get the rights to everything?
0: Yeah, that's the thing, is they never used the name. And so it's just a guy eating food
1: in a gray sweatshirt. I guess, but it feels like—so at what point—I guess, I guess is, that, is that a more recent thing? The, like, visual likeness rights? I don't know. Because it is, like, it looks, It's like—it looks—it's, you know, in front of the, like— the cafeteria food display it's it's ver- it's like shot for shot that scene it's not said in name but it's a visual likeness
0: right i don't i don't know how they got away with it but i also guess that like they could have maybe argued parody
1: i really don't know par so huh parody you have to change 10% a, or something
0: like that you have like to that. change at
1: least 10% in order to qualify as parody in america and until i want to say like 2 years ago Very recently, in the UK, (laughs) and on Australia, there were no official parody laws. Whoever, like, if you wrote, like, a Star Wars parody, and George Lucas brought, you know, something against, uh, brought a suit against you, you just had to present your work to the judge, and if the judge decided it was funny, you were allowed to continue and it was called parody. If the judge didn't think it was funny, it wasn't considered parody and you were at fault.
0: Well, that makes sense. I don't know how they got away with it. Maybe they were able – maybe they were able to clear the rights for small pieces of things because, like, the scene immediately after this is we're on Blues Brothers, the set of Blues Brothers, and John. it ends with John
1: Landis punching Belushi and knocking him out. Which never happened. Right. It's nope. in the book and it was heavily disputed.
0: Yeah. Uh, and now John Landis is no saint, but, you know, I believe him if he says he didn't punch Belushi because he's told plenty of stories where he's the heel. So –
1: um, yeah, and, and apparently there was, a, like, a par- a big part of the book was talking about how, quote, like, a lazy and unreliable or uneducated or stupid John Belushi was heavily coached through a, a, the food scene in, or in parts, or something in, in Animal I think it was the food scene in Animal House, in the book, and then everyone who was on set was like, that's not how that happened, like... A hundred percent. That was a one take improv from John right. Belushi.
0: And also, like, it just seems unbelievable. It's not that clever of a scene. He just puts food in his mouth. Like, it's not. It's not some like Shakespearean turn of phrase that he fires off. He just snorts, snorfs the whole thing of jello. Like, I, I, it makes no sense to me. Um, we go to, also we didn't, I didn't mention this, but they, they, they kind of glossed over this earlier in the movie, but in 1978, he was in animal house, which was the number one movie of the year. I'm pretty sure box office wise, the
1: blues brothers first album went number one on the billboard See, charts. I, I, this is probably me admitting too much. I didn't know they were like a real band. I thought they yeah, were a movie I actually like have, characters.
0: I actually have their first album. It's like very good, uh, soul revival type music, which is a mm. current thing too. Yeah. Interesting. But so the, the album was number one, the movie was number one, and I'm pretty sure that was like one of the peak years for SNL. So he could theoretically – like they mentioned this kind of briefly, but he could have theoretically – or all in one year he had a number one movie, a number one album, and a number one television show. Yeah. He was kind of riding high. Yeah. Um, so there's this is the first of two scenes where he meets a doctor and lists off all the drugs he uses and is like, I smoke weed almost every day. I
1: snort cocaine every single day. And then it's parodied later, right, with um, Phil Newman? No.
0: It, it sounds like Phil Hartman, but it is not. But it's it's supposed to be, isn't it? I don't think so, because Phil Hartman is not on SNL until way after
1: Belushi is dead. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they didn't overlap at all. Rest in peace, Phil Hartman. I mean, I believe you if you say that. I just didn't know that. I, I, I am
0: double-checking, but I am almost positive that he wasn't on SNL at the same time. I feel like Phil Hartman was, like, maybe the late 80s, but definitely was more of a 90s, uh, you know, person on there. So, yeah, he, he like, sees this doctor who, like, recommends he get a shrink. And, of course, Belushi is, like, unable to even process the idea that he would get a shrink.
1: Yeah. And then his dead body is being loaded onto a plane. But this is the this scene is disgusting. I, and, like, I don't understand. Is it supposed to – like, if it's this heightened outlandish Heather's uh, better off dead moment, it makes sense. It doesn't make
0: sense in this movie. They literally can't load his coffin into the car because or into the plane because he's too fat. And so they're like, oh, well, let's just take him out of the – Oh,
1: I see, I thought the casket wouldn't fit.
0: Well, yeah, but they're implying that he's, like, too fat because his casket's so big.
1: Oh, I didn't get that. Yeah. So they, they take him out of the out of the casket and
0: put him on the plane. And belt him in. And then he is underneath the, the body bag, like, talking to the people on the plane.
1: It is so weird. And I don't understand what narrative this movie is trying to push.
0: Right. Uh, Hartman was on SNL from 86 to 94, by the way. And Belushi was 82? Died in 82. He was already yeah. off SNL at that point. Yeah, they like – and it's just this like – they're like trying to fit the coffin. at just so tasteless. It's just so tasteless. Yeah, it's – it's,
1: <laughs>
0: And then we go to like Bob Woodward grilling someone from NBC about paying for his drugs and the person from NBC is like – I mean we paid him. He might have bought drugs with it, but he didn't have a special drugs contract, which I'm sure was one of the rumors that they were trying to put to rest with the book.
1: Yeah, he wasn't actually paid in cocaine. like. Yes, that is a joke that you and I make a lot on this show. Right. But, like, in all honesty, actuality, that's not a real thing.
0: Right. It doesn't make any sense. And then, like, they're cutting back and forth between this argument about the drugs and Belushi's corpse on a plane. And then we we have Belushi's body, like, fall through the roof of a room. Into an Ke- acroid interview? Yeah. It's so weird. And, like, I just don't understand what it's trying to accomplish it honestly seems borderline like that uh movie 43 which was just like gross and raunchy for the sake of gross and raunchy the
1: collection of nonsense sketches
0: yeah yeah where like they got wolverine to put a pair of testicles hanging off his chin and eat dinner with kate winslet and you're like how are these people doing this
1: yeah who owed like who lost a bet how I, many people I, I, I have heard. Was it like everyone was at one party and collectively lost a bet? I, I have heard that like people got
0: put on that movie under dubious circumstances and kind of were stuck. So I don't really know. The uh. the guy who made it, which I believe is one of the Fairley brothers, claims that everybody was given the script, knew what it was, and was like, Hell yeah, this seems funny to me, but I just like cannot imagine Kate Winslet being like oh, you know what would be good? I'd like to have a scene where I go to dinner on a blind date with Wolverine and one of his pubes falls into his soup and he eats it because he has testicles under his chin.
1: Yeah, I feel like this was, everyone was at Elton John's Oscars after party. Right. And they were like, ah, oh, we all thought La La Land was going to win. We all lost the bet. Yeah, And then yeah. they had to make Movie 43. And then
0: somebody brought in a big wheelbarrow full of snorting drugs. Apostrophe. Yeah,
1: S-N-O-R-T-I-N apostrophe drugs. And now it's this, so then there's a a bizarre bathroom cocaine dream sequence, which is a string of words I never thought I would have to say. Yeah. It's him at, like, the sinks talking, like, this kid is sort of like, oh, you're you're great, man. You're so great. And he, like, leaves the bathroom. And then John Belushi picks up, like, sees, like, there's cocaine on his hands and freaks out and washes it off. And then goes to dry his hands, and I couldn't tell because of the rip what was supposed to be—is it needles? Is it needles and sheets? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Like as if you know, what would be the?
0: I'm trying to think of a parallel like. It's like a it's like a roll of needles as tearaways
1: on sheets. Thank yeah the tearaway yeah, and then he you know tries to like pull it off the wall and pulls out like there's a, a syringe or a bottle of something yeah like the injectable bottle with the rubber top and then he freaks out and throws it onto the counter and it's full of cocaine it's fu- it's full of needles right and so he runs into the bathroom and then there's two airplane landing strips of cocaine lines to the toilet yeah and I was like I don't understand what
0: we're doing here it's very much like a scene from train spotting for no reason.
1: It is. It is. All of a sudden it becomes nonsense.
0: And then we go right from this to like a photo shoot where he's clearly out of his mind on drugs and they're like, you know, shooting pictures of him and he's like basically having a meltdown to a fight with Judith, his wife, and the guy who like helped him out to get to this photo shoot who's like – she's like, you just gave him drugs. He's like, well, he needed to be on. She's like, he needed to be alive. Like what are you talking about?
1: Yeah. All of a sudden in the 11th hour it turns into a tragedy – About shitty people supplying an addict for the sake of their own performance. Right. Which, if that's the angle you want to take with this movie, I like that angle. Do that from the top. If you want this to be a weird nonsense movie, do like, I just, it's completely misguided. And I am very happy that this movie failed on so many levels.
0: Yeah, because it is just a total failure. Um, now we get to like the home stretch of this movie, where you know you can tell Belushi's in a bad way. And under normal circumstances, you'd be like, "Oh, this guy's definitely about to die soon." But in this case, you're like, "I know he died. He started dying. I don't know where we're going here." But he, yeah, this is it, it's just inexplicable. He's like holed up in a hotel in Los Angeles and is like trying to crank out this screenplay.
1: They and also so- got facts wrong for this because appa- So I, I was like, "What the hell was he working on when he died?" Right. Um, and it says on Wikipedia, you know, the joy of sex was something he was, you know, working on. But also he was writing a script for the noble rot, which is what he says. But it says he was working on it with someone else, not this Tom Perino person.
0: Uh, well, Tom Perino was probably just the fake name they had to give because they couldn't clear the real
1: person. No, I think Tom Perino is a real person. Oh, Okay.
0: Well, anyway, they interview this woman. And they're like, can you type? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, do you do drugs? And she's like, sometimes. He's like, perfect. Me too. And then, you know, I believe she's the woman who ends up killing him in the
1: movie. You think? Well, oh, it's hard to tell because of the rip, but their hair was similar. <laughs> yes. And the Wikipedia article for this movie is like would not count as a paragraph in a high school paper.
0: Right. But they're um, cutting back and forth. The reason I think that is because they're cutting back and forth between this woman as the typist and... And the interrogation where they're like, all right, so tell us how you killed John Belushi.
1: Yeah. And like at one point he takes a painting, off, like a picture off the wall. So he has a glass surface to do more cocaine off of. And
0: he's like furious that the cocaine has got clumps in it. He's like screaming for a grinder.
1: Yeah, it was very bizarre. And and then, and then it cuts to this guy yelling at him because the script is bad. And he he's like, you're doing the Joy of Sex movie. And I was just like, what are we doing here? Right. And also, isn't the Joy of Sex like a self-help manual for couples? Like, they were going to make... I think so. Okay. And then uh, then I realized, like, a lot of this movie feels like an anti-drug PSA from the late 80s, early 90s.
0: Absolutely. Like, this
1: is your brain on drugs. It's these gritty, dark close-ups of drug paraphernalia and people sweating with dark, uh, like, under-eye circles. I just... I just can't.
0: Apparently, the Joy of Sex was a comedy from 84 as well. Oh, who was in it? Uh, Cameron Dye and Michelle Mayrink, who I have never heard of. Two heavy Christopher hitters. L- Christopher Lloyd and Ernie Hudson, apparently. What? Yeah. Huh. Maybe we'll have to add this one to the list. Oh, Cameron Dye was in Valley Girl. I might know who that is. And The Last Starfighter. All right. Anyway, that's not this movie. Um, at this point, he his wife is like begging him to come home and he won't do it. And then we see him do this like drug rundown again in like a very Groucho Marx way of like, hey, tell me all the drugs you're on. And he like kind of rattles off a list. And yeah, I don't. It,
1: I, it, like this scene, this scene paralleled with the earlier scene with the real doctor could have been an interesting movie piece. But it's right. just done so badly that like, no, there's nothing redeeming.
0: And then we immediately go right from that to, like, a horror movie shot of Woodward walking through the apartment, and he's, like, simultaneously there while Belushi is there experiencing his
1: last days. And he's yeah, he's both a fly on the wall and also talking to Belushi.
0: And I think they're supposed to, like, be illustrating the fact that he was trying to solve this mystery, and so he's – his internal monologue is a conversation is portrayed as a conversation with Belushi, but the movie doesn't do a super great job of explaining that. And so it just really just reads confusing.
1: Yeah. And, and I've been checked at this point, I've been checked out for at least, I said 10 minutes, but honestly it was like 20 to 30 minutes. I've been checked out of the stupid movie. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I'm so confused why they're like, what are you trying to accomplish? Right. Because, and I understand, like, not every movie, like, everything has to be very spoon fed, whatever. But, like, I genuinely could not tell you what they wanted me to take away from this movie.
0: Right. I agree. It doesn't, it, the movie doesn't have a point of view. And so it's just nonsense. And then, it's aimless. Yeah, and then we go right from this, like, investigation to, like, Belushi has to play pinball with Angel for the fate of his soul. And I'm like, really? We're doing Seventh Seal references in this movie? Like, you do not get to reference Bergman. I'm sorry, but you do not. You're not – you have not earned that.
1: Yeah. you. This mo- mm.
0: And then, And then the most egregious part of it, like – this whole ending sequence is awful, but the scene where they show the woman, like, preparing the drugs that she would shoot him up with is done in this, like, sexy
1: style. Like, it seems like— See, I didn't think—I thought it was, like, with different music it could have been sexy, but it, it's it felt like that severe 90s drug PSA.
0: But it just goes on forever. Like, it's multiple minutes of her, like— cooking the drugs and putting them into a syringe and tying his arm off with a belt. And it's just so long. And then, and then like Woodward at that point, Woodward is in the room with Belushi, watching him get shot up in bed. And then they're, they're talking, which obviously makes no sense because we know that's not how it happened. But he's like yelling at him. He's like, like, Oh, look at you wasting your life. And it's like, I don't like at the point where Woodward gets involved in the story, he's already dead. So what are you trying to accomplish here?
1: Yeah. And then, and then Belushi's yelling at Woodward for being sensationalist. And right. I was like, that narrative makes sense to me, Yes, but that's not what this movie has been telling me this whole time. And then like, we... I, a movie that, port- a movie that pa- like paints Woodward as like a sleazy shark into that. Right. That makes sense to me. That That is a clear arc and a clear narrative. But it's just – you can't pull that out at the 11th hour and and say that that's the point.
0: Well, you also can't make a John Belushi biopic and also simultaneously a story of how Bob Woodward wrote the book about John Belushi. Like those are two different movies. Yeah, they're two different stories. And then this is the most – I think the most egregious scene in the movie where Woodward is watching him die and he's like screaming in pain and screaming for help. And it's just like – who is this for? Like, I know we ask that question all the time, but who wanted to watch who John Belushi's the Death throes? Yes. And he's like begging for his life undercut by the sounds of a pinball machine going because they're still hammering home this like, Ing- you know, Ingmar Bergman reference. And I'm just like screaming at the television in disbelief at the way they decided to make this movie.
1: And then it ends with a song.
0: Yeah, he sings You Are So Beautiful as, like, it's a really, like, from a technical standpoint, it's Chickless doing Belushi doing Cocker.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And that's the end of the
1: movie. Because they sings, couldn't get the rights to the other Cocker song.
0: Uh, I mean, uh, there, uh, There's
1: many, but I, yeah. There was a song that apparently Belushi was, like, known for parodying. Oh, uh, okay. I thought I'd heard
0: him do this one. Maybe I was just misremembering. I don't know. Anyway, Chicklis, I will say, like, wrapping things up, final thoughts here. Like, Chicklis is very good in this movie. Like, he does a – he tries – why you would show up to see this. Yeah. He tries to find the emotional center of this portrayal of John Belushi, which is – doesn't really have one. And he still manages to find something, which is really impressive. And I don't know if he really sang, but whoever was singing sounded like John Belushi, who, like, I don't think was a great singer, but had a really good voice for that sort of, like, He was neo. a showman. Yeah, but he also – had a good sounding voice for like soul revival type music. Like, you know, makes white guys singing soul songs sort of deal. Um, and I, I, I like the blue, like, I think the blues brothers is legitimately a great movie. Maybe we'll do it for the show one day. Um, I love that movie. I think it still holds up. I think, think it has, I like,
1: think the February after February is no longer. It's just going to be our favorite movies.
0: Oh, that makes sense. I like that idea. Maybe you pick one and I pick one. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, but, Uh, Yeah, that's a that's a great movie. And like I said before, like I like John Belushi. I just don't like this movie makes no sense. Like I I doesn't I don't understand who the audience would even have been conceivably for this movie, which is just a hit piece on someone that Dan Aykroyd referred to probably accurately as America's guest that like everybody just liked this guy. They wanted to hang out with him. It just makes no sense why this is the tone of the movie.
1: I hated this so much. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, it's easily, easily, easily the worst thing we've ever done on the show, I think. I don't think there's much question. Because it's not – it's not like we've had – we've watched many things where like this is just a collection of scenes and this isn't even a movie. And this is the worst version of that plus it's really mean plus it doesn't make any sense. It's like every – Mean ba- is the
1: best way to explain it. It is a mean movie. Yeah, it is.
0: And and again, it's like I don't even have that much affinity for John Belushi and I don't like hagi- – hagi- I don't even know how to pronounce the word. H- hagi- hagi- hagiography? Hagi- I've never said it out loud before. But like the idea of doing a bio- – a, a, a biography of a person that just turns them into a saint like i don't like that either but this is the other direction where it's just like a hit piece on a guy that people even if you don't like him think generally positively about and i just it doesn't make
1: any sense whatsoever yeah like we said biopics should be cotton candy with a little bit of sour powder sprinkled right. on top right
0: that's what people want i mean you don't go to these movies to watch them like trash people you like so um, I, I highly, highly recommend you do not watch this movie. Watch <laughs> literally, literally anything, anything else.
1: Just YouTube John Belushi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Go watch some uh, Samurai Deli sketches that will at least be mildly entertaining. I, I, I waited at the end for this. I just really quick. Uh, like I was talking about you know, television, uh, not age, sketch comedy in particular, not aging all that well. A couple years back, they were airing the first ever episode of SNL. I think it was right around when they did the
1: 40th anniversary thing. And yeah. so I was like, oh, I would was really what, like to see. Seventy eight.
0: Seventy
1: five. That would like the fortieth anniversary was that was four years ago? Yeah. Oh wow. I thought it was
0: SNL was nineteen seventy five. Um and obviously like first episodes are tough, like it's you know, whatever. But in this case, like you've all these people are veterans of sketch comedy on stage and stuff. And you would think that the first episode should be like lots of really well-written sketches that have been honed. And there's a recurring piece. I don't think, I think Belushi did two different B related things, but the one that is in this episode is like all of the male characters of SNL are dressed in B costumes and they're milling around a waiting room. And, it happens three times in the episode. The first time they're like, they're literally going buzz, 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 and walking in circles. And then a guy walks out from the delivery room and he's like, Mr. B it's a drone. And all the men are like a drone buzz, 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 buzz. End of sketch. Sometime later comes back. It's ident. They do the exact same thing, but a different guy is the Mr. B who reacts and they all yell drone. And then they go buzz, 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 buzz. And then right as the show's about to end, The ten to one sketch—it's the same deal, except the guy walks out and is like, "It's a queen," and then they're like, "A queen," and that's the end. And I was like, "How did this? Yes, like." And I'm—I'm a big fan of comedy that is like essentially uh, just a waste of everyone's time. Like I'm all in for stupid nonsense, and even—yeah—even I was like what in the hell that was a three-parter you were like oh this is this is a sketch that is going to be
1: you know echo in valhalla so fun fact disney so remember how nickelodeon had all that yeah so disney tried it i want to say was it 2019 so like 15 i want to say 15-ish years ago they tried that and at first it was a show about a girl getting picked to be on a sketch comedy show. Okay. And it was Demi Lovato. And when Demi Lovato went to rehab, they just made it the show that she got on instead of the story behind the scenes, whatever. Okay.
0: So they but went one, from like
1: 30 Rock to the Tracy Jordan show. To the girly show. Okay, yeah. The yeah,
0: girly show. Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, and one of the first sketches that they ever talked about was them all in B costumes. Okay. And so, like, maybe it was some weird deep-cut SNL reference. Maybe.
0: Maybe. I don't know. I just – I remember – like like I said, it's like the show is kind of, you know, finding its footing and sketch comedy in general does not age that well. You know, the reason why – you know everyone i've had this conversation a lot like following snl is a lot like following a sports team like there's good years and bad years and everybody thinks the best years that they had were the years that they were in high school like everyone's every single person you ask their favorite era of snl unless they it came on after they were in high school their favorite era of snl is always like when they were old enough to stay up late and watch it because that's you'd only remember mm. the funny sketches like it's just the way it is so it's just the nature of that kind of a show but Man, oh man! Some of that early stuff is just like woof.
1: I know. Did you speaking of SNL? Quick sidebar. Did you? Because um, you and I, I think we both watch YouTube SNL at this point. Where whatever they put on YouTube, I this is what I tend to watch because they kind of weed out the bad, the really bad. No, I watch it on Hulu. Oh, I didn't know that. um did you watch the Adam Sandler family reunion?
0: Yeah, I thought that was funny. Honestly, my favorite sketch in that was the the
1: the tour commercial for going to Italy. I didn't see. I didn't watch that one, but I was I saw this one. I was like, "Wow, Melissa Via Senor does a great Bobby Boucher."
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But then I was like, "Why is Kristen Wiig playing Piper Laurie from Carrie?" And then I had to go into the comments and it was like, it's a real deep cut first comedy album, Adam Sandler bit.
0: Yeah. I didn't, I had that album and I did not remember that character, but yeah, I thought he did a good job. It was fun on SNL. And his Chris Farley tribute song is really very pretty. I I think it's really nice. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. It's from his Netflix special and he just did it like a slightly shortened version of it on SNL, but it's, it's very sweet and touching and, and, and really nice. And as a kid who was like, I think they got fired when I was eight. So it does act, it, like my SNL era is kind of weird because I, it was like right as it got into heavy rotation on comedy central during the day. So I was watching like the Hartman Sandler era in reruns and then the Will Farrell era at night, like when I was old enough okay. to watch. So I like, I have a big fondness for both of those eras of SNL, but yeah, I'm, I loved Farley, and you know I loved those movies when I was ten. Like they were, they were so so funny, and uh, he idolized Belushi. So you know, obviously ended up with a similar life path, very sadly. But the Sandler song is really nice. Anyway, that's all I got for Wired. I think. I think I, uh, I think about. I don't mind about. talking.
1: To, I don't mind spending a few minutes talking about. Yeah, know, yeah, I'll yeah. Because I palate of this yeah, monster garbage. Yeah,
0: I, it's just really inexplicable and and totally crazy that it ever existed, and and a true miracle that Chicklet's ever worked again. So, um, thank Kate you, McKinnon,
1: if you're listening, be my best friend.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we would, we would love to come see the show. That's for sure. Uh, if anybody out there has a connection that can get me into SNL, you know, that's a bucket list item
1: for me. That would be really fantastic to me i mean my friend works on the is a an nbc carpenter but i don't think that extends to well should it ever happen
0: i would uh i would love to be on the list i apply every year um thank you all so much for listening to the show we really really appreciate that uh we are in the midst of listener request month i actually just got uh a suggestion from someone right now while we were recording this episode. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that person asked for. Uh, Thank you for calling those in. If you've done it already, if you haven't, you've got about 10 days left, so get on it. So you don't uh, possibly miss your chance to get something that you want to hear on the show on the show. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. It's dissect the eighties on Twitter. Uh, It is dissecting the eighties on Facebook. You can email us at dissecting the eighties at, Gmail.com. And uh, you can also call that number, 856 Dissect, to leave the requests for Listener Request Month by midnight Eastern Standard Time on May 31st. Um, thank you all so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to check us out uh, on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Dissecting the 80s. If you haven't jumped on the Patreon and there's a reason why, like there's something you'd like to see that's not there, uh, get in touch. We'd love to know. We're, we're open to you know changing that up and adding new things and, and trying to give folks what they want. So if there's something that you feel is missing, let us know. And if it's feasible to do it, we will do it. Uh, we are returning on June 3rd. To explore the giant lizard monster of Godzilla, which I'm very excited about. To kick off about. Pride Month. Yes. Well, you know, Godzilla somehow related. I'm sure we'll figure Godzilla
1: it out. Godzilla in a rainbow crop top. I'm into it.
0: Yeah, no, I'm here too. So thank you all once That's again.
1: <laughs> That'll be the, the Photoshop.
0: Thank yeah, it was just thinking. <laughs> yes. Thank you all for listening to the show. I have been Trip Lano.
1: I will always be Andrew Lano.
0: Until June 3rd.
1: Don't you forget about me.
0: Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production.